You are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. So as far as uh, kicking off this series, I kind of want to start with just this um, story happened a few years ago. Uh, A few years ago, a Christian author, James Emery White, he was doing this uh, radio interview on NPR, and uh, he was just talking about, you know, Christian faith and how that blends with culture in this post-Christian America. And uh, he and the host, they continued talking long after the uh, interview was done, and once he was sure that he had White off the air, uh, the host kind of leaned in and says, hey, can I ask you a question? You're a Christian, you seem intelligent, so answer me this. What is up with this idea that the earth is only six or 7,000 years old? And uh, in, in this uh, particular uh, book that I was reading that White had written, he said that they uh, ended up talking about a number of you know, very um, prevalent questions from people who may not be all that familiar with the Christian faith. Now, putting the age of the earth to the side, there's that phrase in there that he kind of leaned in and asked when he was off the air that, I think is at the heart of just so many people's doubts, and that's that phrase, what is up with? And then just anybody can just kind of fill in the blank as they would. So since we live in a post-Christian America, which means that Christ-like values, they no longer, uh, they don't shape or define our culture anymore like they may have a generation or two ago, uh, there are people who don't follow Jesus who find it odd and even ridiculous sometimes that we think the things that we think that we think like Christians are supposed to think. So in some ways, us sitting in this room, we shouldn't be all that surprised when the world might have questions like, you know, what is up with not wanting two people who love each other to get married? Or what is up with thinking that sex outside of marriage is such a bad thing? Or what is up with a loving God sending someone like Gandhi to hell? These are honest questions. These are very real questions. And even people who do follow Jesus tend to have questions that we can kind of start off with, Jesus, what is up with? And we don't always get the, uh, the venue or the, um, or the time and place to kind of ask those questions. So that's kind of why we're doing this series, Jesus, what is up with? And much like last year's You Asked For It series, over the course of uh, July, uh, you sitting out there had the chance to submit uh, your endings to that question, Jesus, what is up with? And we got a lot of fantastic responses um, Maybe some uh, out-of-the-blue questions, some raw, emotional, honest ones, and some common ones. So uh, the staff, we got together, and we were able to kind of uh, get 12 of these questions that kind of um, represented the entire spectrum of what was being asked. And we were able to kind of divide those into uh, three uh, weekends, this one and then two after this. And so uh, this weekend, uh, Eric and I, we get to deal with four of them. And there were a number of questions that dealt with relationships and our own selfishness and just some honest questions regarding some what we would think are holy boundaries that God has set up for us for a very specific reason. So uh, today, Eric and I, we get to tackle these four questions, all starting with, Jesus, what is up with? Uh, What's up up with honoring your parents when you have bad parents? Jesus, what's up with your no drug policy? Jesus, what's up with uh, some Christian, just uh, Christians and uh, the use of profanity? And then uh, following up with or ending with, Jesus, what is up with the expectation of going to church every single week? Uh, So our goal this morning over the entire series, our goal is to answer these questions and look at them biblically and through the eyes of Jesus. 
but however, uh, some of these questions, honestly, they aren't directly addressed in Scripture. So uh, we want to take on this spirit. I'm going to say a sentence and then I'll explain it. We want to take on this spirit. In essentials, unity. In opinions, liberty. And in all things, love. And here's what that means. Uh, essentials of the faith like baptism and salvation, the divinity of Jesus, or the character of God. These are what we call essentials of the faith. And these are beliefs and even practices that uh, Eric and I were fully unified on, the entire staff, leadership. And if you are a member here, uh, these are things that he's like, yes, we believe in this and we'll hold to them. Uh, but then there are things that, that in this statement just called uh, opinions. And these are issues where we do have some freedom in Jesus to have uh, different views out there. And these can include use of alcohol, even smoking, things we eat, age of the earth, uh, what music we can or uh, can't or should or shouldn't listen to. Uh, things like this where the Bible may be unclear or even silent altogether. So we have some level of freedom to disagree in non-essentials of the faith like uh, those I just kind of listed. And then certainly, hopefully, uh, we want to be all on the same page in all these things, both in unity and maybe even in disagreements, in all things love, especially if we disagree. Uh, I, don't think, uh, I don't think Eric and I disagree on anything that we're covering today, but even just you know, during the week, there are things that you know, Eric and I do disagree on, but we still very much work well with each other and even love each other. Uh, so that's what we want to do going forward. Um, if by chance you uh, disagree or you maybe think that you maybe misheard or misunderstood something that we said from the stage, either this morning or even the next two weeks. Uh, if it bothers you enough, please, you are welcome. We invite you to come talk with us about it. We don't uh, want any, you know, um, any even appearance of disunity or talking behind anyone's back. So we welcome that email, in person, whatever. Uh, but more than anything, uh, we all want to leave uh, this place this morning feeling built up, feeling encouraged, and just looking more like Jesus and how we love each other and just how we love those outside of the building. So uh, I'll pray for all of us, and then uh, Eric gets to tackle our first question. So let's pray. Father, I ask your spirit to um, just uh, guide the words that are uh, coming, out of, um, coming from Eric and I, that it is your truth and it's your grace uh, being spoken, and uh, whatever it is that your spirit has for our hearts to take away from uh, this weekend, even if uh, some of these questions submitted were by those in this very room, that we uh, deal with these honestly and in a holy way and in an honest way. So uh, we ask for your direction and your felt presence in the room, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So yeah, Eric, you get the very first question, <laughs> and if I remember right, we kind of shortened it just to, you know, so we could fit on the screen, but the question that was submitted is, you know, Jesus, what's up with, you know, there's this command in the Ten Commandments that says, you know, honor your mother and father, but what if you, you just had bad parents? What about in that circumstance? What about if you just had bad parents? You know, I, I had trouble relating to this question at first, because I honestly... You know, a group of some pretty awesome parents, you know. Yeah. yeah, they're, you know, people and we're all flawed, but at the end of the day, I can't say my parents were bad parents, you know. Um, but as I was thinking about this question, I started thinking, you know, parents are an authority figure in one's life. And in Scripture, it calls us to honor authority. And man, I've had some bad authority figures in my life. Mm. I think a lot of us can relate to that, whether it's a boss or a teacher or someone else, that we've just had a bad authority figure in our life. And uh, I remember one time I was working at Chipotle, I had this boss, um, let's call him Andrew, for anonymity's sake. Um, he said we love each other, turns out we don't. <laughs> I kid. Um, but, so I had this boss at Chipotle, and this guy, man, he was just rude and disrespectful, treated staff really poorly. Um, he would, like, say, oh, no staff can take a break, but then he would go outside and smoke something he probably shouldn't be smoking. What was he smoking? 
He was smoking marijuana, Andrew. Okay. I, I asked that just because we're dealing with that very issue um, here in a moment. We are. So this boss for me, it was really hard to respect him, you know? It was really hard for me to probably show honor to this individual because of just his character and who he was. And when I finally left that work circumstance, I remember being so relieved that I didn't work at Chipotle anymore, one, because I'm not working at Chipotle anymore, and two, because I don't have this bad boss. Um, but as I started thinking about this, I was like, man, honoring somebody who is a terrible person or someone who is not a good person, you know, intrinsically doesn't show love and respect and kindness is super difficult. And then I heard this podcast from Life Church pastor Craig Rochelle that kind of changed my whole perspective on this issue of honoring authority. And he uses this phrase and he says, honor is given, respect is earned. You see, I think the mistake that we all make, including myself a lot of times, is that we mistake honor for respect, whereas honor is intrinsically different. It comes from understanding someone's value and worth and that they are a creation made in the image of God, while respect has completely to do with someone's behavior. I can honor my parents or I can honor an authority figure even though I don't agree with what they're doing. Uh, if you guys want to take a look, the scripture will be on the screen. It comes from 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17. It says this. It says, Be subject to the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor is supreme or the governor is sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of the Lord, that by doing good you should put the silence and ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. There's some context behind this passage that, if you don't understand, um, makes it seem like this is a super easy thing to do for early Christians, but in actuality it wasn't. You see, the Roman Empire was this group of people who persecuted Christians on the daily um, they would do these, uh, have these extravagant parties in the evening time where they would tie early first Christians up to these lampposts or these poles and then cover them in tar and set them on fire. They would throw them in the Colosseums and send animals after them and soldiers after them. On a daily basis, Christians were persecuted by the Roman emperor. And here is Peter, an early apostle, an early follower of Jesus, saying, hey, honor them anyway. Even though they are trying to kill you, even though you face death by them, honor them. And I think Peter is saying this, and I think God wants us to honor those in authority, because one, it shows our character. It shows that even though um, someone messes it up, we're still going to love them. And that's the gospel intrinsically, is that even though we messed it up, Jesus still loved us and died for us on the cross. And also, we should give grace because we need grace as well. How many times do we mess it up on a daily or weekly basis? Because I know I mess it up almost each and every day. Tons of times a day. And there are times where I've done things that are really disrespectful and rude and have rightfully earned people not to respect me. But would I want those people to go out and dishonor me in public or to cause the people who I am over in leadership to not follow me? No, I would want them to honor me anyway. So I should do the same for the authority figures in my life that have disrespected me. That I should show honor to them no matter what. 
And that when conflict arises, I go to this person and I talk with them directly and saying, hey, I don't agree with the decision you're making. I don't agree with what you're doing because it doesn't seem biblical. There's power when we address an issue and we come to a brother in love and say, hey, I don't think this is right. So we honor parents and we honor leaders because we recognize that God has placed them in this position in our lives as an authority figure over us for a reason. And in that role of parent, teacher, or boss, you are simply called to do good by them and honor them, no matter what. Uh, one of the drawbacks of uh, how these you know, questions were submitted is uh, they're anonymous, so we don't get to know the stories or the particular circumstances that led someone to write these questions down. So just in case it came from a different area, I wanted to ask this follow-up question. What if uh, your parents were authority figure, but we'll go with parents, what if, to be in the spirit of the question, what if your parents were just, or are, just beyond bad, could be described as more evil, like emotionally, physically abusive, neglectful? Do we still, is, do we still honor them? Yeah. Um, like I said before, honor is given, respect is earned, you know. Um, we are called to honor anyone in authority, even if they're terrible people. We could easily relate this back to first century Christians under the threat of death, having to honor the emperor and the Roman Empire. But with that being said, first century Christians weren't going out and like walking up to the Roman Empire and saying, hey, kill me. Sure. You know? um, they weren't going into situations where they were willingly putting themselves in harm's way. And if that's someone in this room and you're in a situation where it's not helpful and it's harmful to you and it's hurting your emotional, physical well-being, um, it's okay to leave that relationship or leave that situation that doesn't do anything wrong by you. If you're being damaged by somebody because of their abusive, neglectful behavior, it's okay to leave. Now, that doesn't mean you can, you know, go around and be super disrespectful, but that means as a Christ follower, you leave that situation and you start a process of understanding what it means to forgive. And while you walk down that path of forgiveness, whether it's through counseling and mentorship or whatever, that doesn't also mean you're disrespectful to that individual. But you show them love and grace, and you also don't have to put yourself in that situation again. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. So, Andrew, you said there was a subject of my boss smoking something that we were going to talk about. Right, right. Uh, so this uh, second question that was submitted, uh, Jesus, what is up with your no-drug policy? And I remember it was in quotation marks set aside that way. Um, I actually know the individual who submitted this question, and if I'm not mistaken, they were coming from basically the, the marijuana use side of things. I don't want anyone to misunderstand or mishear what I'm about to say, but in Scripture, the, uh, the idea of drug use, it is just not addressed, at least not in any direct way. Uh, you won't hear mention of tobacco or marijuana or any other what we would call illegal substances in either the Old or the New Testament. Uh, the Bible does address alcohol use, and uh, that issue is often lumped in with um, the drug conversation, at least in um, venues like this. Uh, but there's nothing in the Bible about drugs themselves. Now, some might be tempted to think that if the Bible doesn't directly address something, then it must be okay. Well, maybe sometimes, but also maybe not in many other cases. Uh, back in February, I was having a conversation with a student. This student does not attend Southwest. Um, but he uh, used, or uses, uh, used at the time anyway, uh, he smoked marijuana on a very regular basis, and he wanted to know, uh, how does Jesus feel about this? How does he honestly feel about this? Now, Obviously, his habit is illegal, 
um, but I don't know how much interaction you've had with teens. Typically, the argument, it's against the law, doesn't always hold all that much sway when talking about this sort of thing. So typically, I leave just the illegality argument out of it just to the side. Uh, but I was asking, uh, you know, what's the, what do you get out of it? What's the benefit? And he explained, well, um, it takes away some anxiety. It's very much a stress relief. It gives me this sense of peace and calm. And if I'm smoking with my friends, then it, it, it deepens the, the friendship. We have great conversations. And I thought about it. I was like, you know what? Those are all really good things. They really are. I think uh, Jesus would love us to have an anxiety-free life. I know he wants peace and calm for us. And I think we're all created for relationships. So the idea of friendships deepening, I think uh, Jesus is 100% behind. And I told him all that. But then I followed up with this. I said, but the way you're going about these things, it's a counterfeit. It's a cheat. It's a, it's a false way of going about getting these wonderful things that God would have for us anyway. Uh, the actor Rain Wilson, he played Dwight Schrute on The Office for uh, nine seasons. Uh, he put out uh, a very sarcastic but thought-provoking tweet just like two weeks ago, July 22nd. Uh, this is what he tweeted out for, to, all, uh, to all his followers, to the world. He tweets out, Looking for a recreational drug that makes me forgetful, paranoid, apathetic, and disconnected from my emotional life. Obviously, that is dripping and laced with sarcasm, and it's there to make a point. Just as any recreational drug for any length of time, even, uh, even once, I would imagine, uh, it leads down a path of forgetfulness, even paranoia, apathy, certainly apathy, and disconnected from emotional life. I could even write, add disconnected from other people. This is what happens uh, when this irresponsible, even illegal drug use uh, um, takes place. Uh, I'm not a, I'm, I'm a, I haven't been around a long time. I'm only 29 years old, but um, in just observing people, I think that the craving of every living individual is, I think we all want to be known and loved for exactly who we are. That's one of just the very uh, core cravings of every individual, I think. Uh, but the reality is uh, we all build our, we have walls up that only certain people uh, get into. We all have our insecurities. We all have these personas that we've built that we want to protect. So the idea of being fully known and loved for who we are, it's challenging at best, even on a good day. Well, drugs will take those walls down. Some drugs even uh, will. Alcohol certainly takes those walls down. I mean, how many of us uh, know someone in our life, or at least that we've met, who once they have been drinking for a while, their personality just radically changes? Alcohol will do that. I really think that it's, I think it's intimacy with other people that we're after. I think it's a peace we're after. But it's always Jesus who wants to give us those things. You know, any problem or life situation that we find ourselves in, Jesus wants in on the ground floor. At the back of uh, Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Hey, come to me, all who are weary, all of you who are carrying these heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. This is one of those verses that I committed to memory uh, years and years ago. But also, many people are substituting, they're bringing in alcohol and recreational drugs in the place of Jesus. Now, personally, I am in favor of antidepressants. I'm in favor of uh, anti-anxiety medication when it's prescribed. And I think God's in support of that as well. But even then, I can't speak for anyone in the room, uh, but even then, it makes sense that some of us can rely more on a pill than on Jesus who loves us. A pill will not love you. It can't. Jesus says this uh, in his Sermon on the Mount. He says, No one can serve two masters, for you're going to hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And in this context, he talks about, you know, you can't serve both God and be uh, enslaved to money. 
But we can, if we wanted to, we could take out that money and replace it with any worldly thing and it would still hold true, right? Some of us are having trouble, you know, which master are we going to serve on any given day? And some of us have drugs that are masters, whether they're uh, prescribed or otherwise. Uh, I, I wanted to speak to the alcohol side of things very briefly because I know alcoholism is prevalent in the surrounding community. There are some scriptures that describe alcohol as a good thing. But most of scriptures regarding alcohol describe it as nothing short of wildly dangerous. Some people, most people probably even can uh, drink responsibly and it has no negative impact on their lives at all. But then there are some people who just cannot handle that, just based on their personality or, or, or genetics or just past habits. Here's something Paul writes. He says, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we're instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures, and we should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. I am committed, with Jesus' help, to living a life of righteousness and wisdom and devotion to God. I have never known drugs or alcohol to bring anyone closer to Jesus. Ever. I haven't even heard rumors of this. But I have heard stories, and I've seen lives where drugs... And alcohol, excuse me, alcohol have broken or even just flat out destroyed friendships and entire families. And we all know those stories. Peter writes this in one of his letters. He says, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. And then he says, stay alert. There's not very often that an exclamation point shows up in scripture. He says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion uh, looking for someone to devour. Any recreational drug is uh, one of three things, or a misused prescribed drug is one of three things. I think it's either an escape, it's a distraction, or it's a substitution. Now, an escape is going to create isolation between you and other people, you and other, and, and God. A dis- <clears throat> excuse me. A distraction is going to uh, make you focus on things that do not matter, and a substitution is going to make you value things that shouldn't have value to begin with. Satan knows this, and he says, I just, we can imagine that imagery, prowling around like this roaring lion, just this hungry thing, just waiting for something to devour. Drugs and alcohol make it way too easy for Satan to succeed in this. Yeah, that's good stuff. So I think it's, it's back to me now. That's right, you get question number three. Question <clears throat> number three, which is, Jesus, what is up with profanity? Yeah, yeah, and how this was, it was a very specific question when this was submitted to begin with. Uh, the question was, if I recall, Jesus, what is up with some hip-hop artists who claim to be Christian uh, using profanity in their work? Uh, so we can, we can start there, but also we'll kind of widen the uh, conversation to Christians and profanity altogether, but we can start there. For sure, yeah. So uh, for anyone who's like 30 and on down, there's this Christian hip-hop artist that most of us have heard of called Chance the Rapper. Um, Chance the Rapper was this guy. He's on SNL. He's been a Grammy Award-winning artist. Um, he made it without a record label. It's super cool. Um, he went on SNL and he like proclaimed Jesus' name. And he's yeah. very open and like active in his faith. But then there are some songs by Chance that are a little inappropriate. Yeah, you yeah. know. And if uh, there's a has, has anyone over thirty heard of Chance the Rapper? We can it can be like a crowd participation sort of thing. Okay, I'm saying like yeah, five ish. So uh, <laughs> what he just said is very accurate. But I'll say this about. Uh, Chance the Rapper, he's a very young guy, 20, 21, yeah. maybe 22 at most. Uh, but uh, among uh, Jesus followers, typically under 30, uh, and it's even <laughs> closer to mid-20s on down, he is starting to reach kind of this hero status because 
uh, you know, he's extremely outspoken about his faith in Jesus. And uh, I've heard, I've read many stories and articles where his concerts have turned into flat-out worship services. So he's getting a lot of attention. I would even say good attention because he sure. is pointing people toward Jesus. But also, yeah, there's that side of it where he's, you know, saying things that he probably shouldn't say. Yeah, there's this paradox. So how do we resolve this? I'll stop interrupting you. Go no, ahead. you're good. <laughs> You know, curse words, man, they're, the, they're those funny things that either someone goes, yeah, all right, he said it, um, or they make us go, ugh. And I, I tend to fall in the ugh category. Yeah, I'm on the cringing side as well, yeah. Like, curse, you know. Um, and I want to be transparent in this moment and saying, you know, sometimes I struggle with the words I say, not just, you know, profanity, but speaking in general. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a bigger issue here when we hear curse words and things like that, is that it's not... The issue isn't about profanity. The issue is about how neglectful we are with our words at times. Mm. You know, yeah. we can we can throw around our words and be hurtful and rude and mean in so many different ways. And sometimes we don't even use profane language. You know, um, in one of my favorite movies, there's this movie called Dead Poet Society with Robin Williams, and I always mess up his main character's name. It's Mr. Keating. Mr. Andrew? Keating. That's right. Keating. Yeah. I got it right this time. Um, he has this quote where he's in the middle of this conversation with the students, and the quote kind of goes like this. He says, so avoid using the word very because it's lazy. A man is not very tired. He is exhausted. Don't use the word very sad. Use morose. Language was invented for one reason and one reason only, boys, to woo women. And in that endeavor, laziness will not do. It also won't do in your essays. Now, Robin Williams' character, he wasn't telling... Um, these boys this so they could be experts at picking up women so they can you know go down and pick up any girl they want no that was not what he was doing he was trying to get his boys to understand something that we all learn right around age two when we figure out the word no is that words have power words intrinsically have this power to build up or tear down an individual in just a second jesus's word is often described as a double-edged sword in scripture it has this ability to pierce right through your heart because his words are very much truth. And whether it's the lies of the enemy masquerading as truth or whether it is the legitimate truth of Jesus, words can pierce our hearts and make us feel passion or anger. They can make us feel empathy or apathy. They can make us really zealous or they can make us feel super guilty and full of shame. Words have power to make us feel all sorts of of emotions. And in James 3, James addresses this issue of words and how neglectful we can be with words at times, and he even refers to the, the tongue as a matchstick that sets a forest on fire, this little spark that can set a great forest ablaze. And in verses 7 through 12, he says this, he says, people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish. But no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil and full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the very image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives and a grapevine produce figs? No, you cannot draw fresh water from a salty spring. You see, profanity is not the problem. It's the way we are neglectful with our words. I could be the most eloquent person in the world and have the most astonishingly vast vocabulary, 
but I can still cause a great fire and tear someone down with my words and never drop any sort of profane language. Now, I want to be clear on something. This isn't an advocacy for you to go out and start dropping F-bombs like there's no tomorrow or saying any other word that you think you now have the right to say. No, that's not. But it's actually an advocate for you to understand this very truth. That the words we speak have power. And so we have an option. Will we choose to honor God with the words we speak? Or will we choose to speak the way the world does? And so my challenge to everyone is that we let every word that we speak and every breath that we take bring praise to the Lord. I do like that take, just taking, you know, not, not just answering the profanity question, but just our words in general, because I love words, and we all know that words have power, often great power. Uh, but just because I can and I have the microphone, just to play <laughs> devil's advocate, just the very much loaded question and even unfair question. But I'll ask it, does using profanity... Make me a bad Jesus follower. Well, Andrew, I think we're all bad Jesus followers. But um, I think at the heart of the issue, um, it's not a matter of does it make you a bad Jesus follower or not. The, the real answer is, is this producing good fruit in my life or is it producing negative fruit in my life? Jesus is often referred to in Scripture as the vine master, the guy who is you know, cutting back the bad fruit so the good fruit can flourish. And we have a fancy Christian word for this that we call sanctification. It's the process of us becoming more like Jesus each and every day. That when we accept Jesus into our lives and we are baptized, that Jesus is now a part of us and he's making us more like him each and every day. And that process is called sanctification. And sometimes that means Jesus takes back that bad fruit, those things that don't produce good values, like profanity or harsh words, um, so that the true character of God can shine through us and the true way God designed us can shine the good fruit, a language of love and peace and kindness and gentleness. I'm satisfied. You're satisfied? Okay. <laughs> so, Andrew, I want to know, what's up with the fact that I have to go to church every Sunday? I have, yeah, we have this final <laughs> question. And, then, you know, Jesus, what is up with the expectation of going to church every single week, every Sunday? Which some of you might be hearing this question and think, oh, I had no idea that that was even a thing, going to church every Sunday. Uh, even... The, even though the Bible says nothing, it says absolutely nothing about how often we should attend church, uh, just one of the themes of the very nature of Scripture is it does indicate that we should be a part of a body of believers on a regular and, a, and an active basis as well. Uh, I learned something years ago that just blew my mind. Uh, I was back in school, and I learned that uh, the ancient Hebrews, God's chosen people, the Jewish people, they did not have a word for religion. That word did not, you know, equate in their culture. Uh, they had no concept of there being a difference or a separation between sacred and secular. Everything in their life was 100% God. He affected every single part of their life. And they would not be able to comprehend uh, how we live our lives where we kind of have, you know, different compartments and different areas and even different personas and behaviors and friends that go with different uh, environments that we find ourselves in on a, very, on a daily basis. So 2017, it's very much different than what we find in either the Old Testament or New Testament because we have compartments all over the place, right? And many of us, we've gone so far as to put, uh, have this Jesus-only compartment on Sunday morning, and Jesus has no bearing or very little bearing on Monday through Saturday. 
I mean, the Bible was written over the course of about 1,500 years, but even in that uh, millennia, millennium and a half, the idea of God not being part of every single moment every day, it would just be mind-blowing to them. They wouldn't be able to fathom this. Uh, a generation or two ago, those who went to church did so nearly every Sunday, unless they were uh, out of town on vacation. But even then, they'd probably find a church to go to just wherever they were going. And some in the room are old enough to remember this, not only every Sunday morning, but every Sunday night. And not, every, not only every Sunday night, but you went to church you know, for Bible study on Wednesday night as well. That was the norm. That was the common practice a generation or two ago. Not so anymore. Uh, the latest stat uh, I, I found out at, from whatever convention um, a month or two ago, the latest stat on uh, the average t- attendance of a committed church member a month is uh, 1.7 times a month. Nationwide, the average committed church member attends church 1.7 times a month, which sounds really, really low to me, because it is low. But those are the committed, committed ones. Uh, now, uh, Southwest, we sit in the middle of a very blessed and affluent community, as far as finances go. And uh, that means that people, we often get the chance to take, you know, weekend trips, weekend vacations, because we have that financial freedom, we have... Um, we all have, we have kids and those kids, they have sports that take us away on a weekend, sometimes the entire weekend, even a Sunday morning sometimes. And also the idea of a, many of us who are just working all the time, the idea of a nine to five, five day work week is becoming more and more foreign. For instance, my boss makes me work every single Sunday. It is out of control. That guy, that guy. But I do know that we lose something when we don't prioritize coming together as a group of believers for one, just you know, an hour and 15 minutes every single week. And even that, that's not a lot of time. Uh, I have a friend, she attends here, uh, she and her family, they're members here at Southwest, uh, but they, they're, they're able to go out of town a lot. Uh, they've been blessed in that way, and uh, so that keeps them from many Sunday mornings here. Uh, but whenever they come back, she's always very quick, and it, it happens without fail, she's always very quick to tell me something like this. She says, I've missed this. I always forget how much I miss being with everybody together, worshiping and learning about Jesus together in the same place, in the same room, hearing the same words. Here's a a description uh, of the early church. It's from um, the very end of Acts chapter 2. It'll be up on the screen. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Scripture does not talk about church attendance because they could not imagine a life where everything was not centered around Jesus. Their thought was, why wouldn't you want to be at church with other believers as much as you possibly could all the time? That's where the love was. That's where the togetherness was. That's where the community was. That's where all of life was. Why wouldn't you want that? To kind of end the, like the, uh, the addressing of this question, uh, I wanted to share this story uh, that's been around for a long time. But it goes like this. It says, uh, a member of a certain church who had previously been attending uh, services regularly just stopped going. 
And after a few weeks, the pastor decided to give him a visit. And it was a chilly evening. Uh, The pastor found the man at home alone, sitting before this blazing fire. And, you know, guessing the reason for his pastor's visit, the man welcomed him in, led him to a big chair near the fireplace, and just waited. And the pastor made himself comfortable, but he didn't say anything. He said nothing. And in the grave silence, he kind of contemplated the play of the flames around the burning logs, you know, just like you do. It's fun to watch a fire do its thing. And after some minutes, the pastor took the fire tongs, and he carefully picked up a brightly burning ember and placed it to one side of the hearth, all alone by itself. And then he sat back in his chair, still silent. And the host watched all this with, you know, this quiet fascination. What's this pastor doing? And as the one lone ember's flame diminished, there was a momentary glow, and then its fire was no more. Soon it was cold, and then, as Dickens would say, it was dead as a doornail. And not a word had been spoken since that initial greeting at the, at the door. So just before the pastor was ready to leave, he picked up the cold, dead ember, and he placed it back in the middle of the fire, and immediately it began to glow once more with the light and warmth of the burning coals around it. And as the pastor reached the door to leave, his host said, Thank you so much for your visit, and especially for your fiery sermon, I'll be at church on Sunday. (laughs) But there's a value to this, a value that uh, almost uh, can't be described, especially for those who've known the value of togetherness here. Uh, In in this description from Acts, it said that um, they were in the practice of uh, just taking the Lord's Supper together, and we're going to do that here in a few minutes, so if you're on that team, that's your cue. Uh, but just there are things that you don't get when you're all alone. For instance, you get this uninterrupted time of hearing God's truth and wisdom, and you get this uninterrupted time of worshiping musically, and you uh, get to be connected. And we come here and we get the reminder that uh, life is so much bigger than ourselves, and even if we have our problems and our issues, that we're not alone in this. How many of us could say of someone, uh, either hopefully in this building, How many of us would be able to say, well, if I was going through this, if not for so-and-so, I don't know if I would have made it. You can't get that on your own. Anyway, I'm going to pray for us. Uh, We, you know, the communion is going to be passed, and this is something that we get to do together. It was designed to be done together as all of us believing this one thing, this believing that uh, life is about Jesus, and we have faith in him, and not only do we have the salvation here on earth, but also we get to enjoy eternity with him in heaven. You know, this uh, juice that represents his shed blood and this bread that represents his broken body. Uh, and there are many reasons for that, but also we, that we have this salvation, we have this life, we have this assurance in common. So with that spirit, that thought, along with extreme gratitude and worship, uh, let's pray together. Father, I thank you in this moment that those of us in this room have something that a lot of people just don't, and that is togetherness, life together. Even if we have nothing in common outside of you, you are more than enough. So in this moment, we're doing this together, Uh, taking your son's body and his blood and just remembering his sacrifice, his love, his grace, and his example for us. So help us treat this moment exactly how it should be treated. It's in Jesus' name that we all pray together. Amen. Thank you for listening to Southwest Church Teaching Ministries. We are a community of people committed to following Jesus and making disciples. Please join us for one of our three weekly gatherings, Saturdays at 5.30 p.m. 
Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11.15 a.m.